The following message was preached by Dan McGann from Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 21. Morning. If you would, turn your Bibles to the book of Colossians. We're going to be back in the book of Colossians again today. Two weeks ago, we were in Colossians. We covered 1 through about 12. Today, I want to kind of back up just a little bit, overlap it. Uh, We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 21 today. Let's go ahead and read that, and then we'll get into today's time. So, Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 21. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. And we're going to read into 22. He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the opportunity to share the Word of God. I just ask that You would control my tongue, that You would help me present with clarity. Use this dirty vessel to deliver a perfectly beautiful and clean message. In Jesus' name, amen. So my old church, the church I I accepted Christ in, they had a slogan that was painted over the door as you left the church building. And it simply said, it was two words, walk worthy. And there was a reference there to the book of Colossians. And so every day that you would leave, every Sunday you would leave, you would walk out under this motto, Walk worthy. Walk worthy. That seems like it would be not only an appropriate slogan for us to put over the door of our church, but over the door of our lives, correct? I mean, here in Colossians, Paul is laying down foundational doctrine because of the influences of other voices. And we talked about that the last time that we were together. 
But what does that mean to walk worthy? So I think here in this text, which is why I backed up into verses 9 and then came back in, I think what we see here are sort of four things Paul is trying to get across to the church as they move forward and they begin to build off of this foundation of doctrine that he's reminding them of. So we see what follows here are sort of four tests of whether or not you are walking worthy. How do you know whether you're walking worthy? And so the first thing we see is in verse 10. Are are my hands bearing godly fruit? Bearing fruit in every good work, he says in verse 10. So when it comes to knowing and following God's will, we tend to overthink the who and the where and the how and the rather than just what is God's will. I know for me, having been previously in vocational ministry, that was an overwhelming thing. I wanted to know exactly. I I know what the will of God is for me, but I need to know what the minute, what exactly, what is the very next step that I'm supposed to take. And I would often lose an opportunity to share the gospel at a gas station because I was too concerned with the mapping out that God had for me. So following God's will or His call to kingdom fruit, it says in every good work. That means in everything that we do. In every good work, we're called to bear fruit. So it would be crushing to believe that God has called us to carry the weight of every need that we can see with our eyes. Could you imagine if you personally, Matt, were called to fix all of the Christian problems, all, all the prayer requests that come out of Ukraine, that's on you, Matt. Now you've got to handle that. That's a crushing weight. That's why there is a body of Christ that distributes and works together to meet the needs that we see on a daily basis. Just in the digital age alone, if you were to bear the burden of every problem you saw just scrolling through Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is, you would be overwhelmed. Which is exactly where our adversary would love us to stay. Overwhelmed, incapacitated, and unfunctional. That's where he would like to keep us. And so our adversary inundates us with all the problems of the world so that we just feel like there's just too much. It's just too much. And Paul is just reminding us, hey, bear fruit in every good work. Just bear fruit every day. In other words, if our hands are bearing no kingdom fruit for the king, then we should be repenting. We should be repenting and saying, God, this morning, give me an opportunity to bear fruit. Each day. You know, we have that saying, uh, I have a, a son, one of, my, one of my boys, Bryce, has struggled with addiction for many, many years, and, and he has a, a, a tattoo on his arm that says, one day at a time. And we, we could actually adopt that concept as believers and bear fruit, good fruit, one day at a time. Wake up in the morning, ask God, help me to bear fruit in every good work today. So Paul's saying that's one way you can know that you're walking worthy. 
And he reminds us, he's going to remind us a little later, that we're, we're doing this because of God calling us, justifying us, saving us. Not so that He will. This is not uh, acts of justification. This is not acts of us desiring that God will accept us because we're bearing good fruit. We bear good fruit because God has accepted us. And so he's going to remind us of that in a minute. So first he says, bearing fruit in every good work. This is also that you can walk worthy of the Lord. The second thing is, is my mind growing in the knowledge of God? He says again in verse 10, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Our King Jesus is so royal, he's so majestic, his heart is so full of revelation to us that, that we should keep ourselves in his word. Even in the darkest of days, even in the times that it is the most difficult, this is especially true that we would want to know more about Christ because we are called to be Christ-like, which is where our name, Christian, comes from. You're like, the, you're like that Christ guy. So nothing runs more contrary to the will of the king than to be ignorant of his word. Nothing runs more contrary than to have a lack of knowledge of the very king that you worship. Our minds grow lazy. Our minds wander. Isaiah chapter 17, in verses 10 and 11, Isaiah says, For you have forgotten the God of your salvation. You have not remembered the rock of your refuge. And therefore, though you plant pleasant plants and sow the vine branch of a stranger, though you might make them grow on the day that you plant them and, and make them blossom in the morning that you sow, Yet the harvest will flee away in a day of grief and incurable pain. What Isaiah is saying is, you are focusing on all this other stuff. And it looks like you're doing good. You're planting, it's growing, you're harvesting. But it is actually creating incurable pain. You are deflected, you are distracted, you are putting everything into blank. What it is. Whatever it is. But it's not the Lord. So maybe for some, it's a career or a business or, or, or an, an, an organization or whatever it is. And, and it's doing great. Isaiah says, you plant plants and sow the vine branch of a stranger, though you make them grow on the day that you plant them and, and you make them blossom. Everything looks good. But you've forgotten the God of your salvation. You have not remembered the rock of your refuge. The living God is so unlike anything. It creates humility in us to understand just exactly what He did for us. I was watching a video uh, the other day that one of my buddies who is currently in seminary, he sent me a video of this guy who sent the... He, he was asking a question of a, of a seminary teacher. And he says, uh, 
just want to ask the question, um, we didn't choose to be created. We didn't have any say in it. And now you're telling me that there's this God who created us, and now if we don't choose Him, then we are banished for eternity because we didn't choose Him. But we didn't have any say in whether or not we were created. What, what, what is your answer to that? And the seminary professor just looked up and said, you ever been on a trip with your parents you didn't want to go on? And the guy's like, uh, probably. He said, all right, go on a trip. You get in a boat, and you don't want to go out on the lake. I don't want to go. I don't want to go on this trip. And you get in the boat, and you go out, because your parents are saying, you didn't have any say in it. You didn't have any choice. And you get out into the middle of the lake and the boat capsizes. And somebody rolls up with another boat to save you. Are you going to complain that you weren't supposed to be on that trip in the first place? Are you going you gonna to sink to the bottom of the lake because I didn't want to be on this trip in the first place and go down? And he said, we have a God who is supreme who has created and has created a way. And for you to turn away the rescue boat because you didn't want to be on the trip is foolishness. I thought that was a great answer. I thought it was a fantastic answer. This God whom we serve, increasing in the knowledge of God. Let me ask you a quick question. Because this is exactly what my friend who's in seminary asked me. He said, I want you to get, he, he said, I want you to watch this video up to this point and then stop it. I want you to figure out what your answer would be. And then I want you to watch the rest of the video, which is exactly what I did. And I'm just being honest with you. I got a little uncomfortable. I stopped it. After the gentleman asked the question, I stopped it and I said, hmm, how am I going to respond to that? Because I was thinking from a selfish mode. He's right. We, we didn't ask to be created. It's not our fault. How comfortable would you be in answering a question like that? It speaks to the level of knowledge we have of God. So increasing our knowledge of God and the character and nature of God and knowing who He is and what He is and how He operates, it's truly, truly necessary for us to walk worthy in a manner of the Lord. So then Paul goes on and he continues in verse 11. He says, May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience. So children of the King, and this is where I have to confess this is a little confessional booth today children of the king should not be easily enraged children of the king should be patient and endure we don't jump to quick conclusions we don't read something one time and then jump all over the author for it we john piper says that patience is the evidence of an inner strength given by god and impatient people show their own weakness. 
So here's what I, I used to do. Here's what I used to be. Uh, I, as I tried to increase my knowledge of the Lord, and I listened to people who gave me feedback. I used to be a person, and sometimes it still creeps out, who is easily enraged. I was the king of the internet at one point. I was easily enraged. I wanted to comment on everything that was on the internet. I wanted to be sure that everyone knew exactly what the right thing was. I drew this painful connection. But when I really stopped and looked at myself, and God was nice enough to remind me every year as Facebook brings up some of my past posts and reminds me the growth that I've had over the years. I was more concerned with someone being conservative and not Christian. I was easily enraged. I was impatient with them. I, of course, lost my God-centeredness and started to shift to my own fruit and my own plantings. So let me explain. I, I, I was a hothead. I was intent on taking the light of the gospel and burning people with it instead of illuminating the darkness around them. That's an that's a open confession to you. You see, is my life resilient and patient? Am I strengthened in His power? Or am I operating in my own? And when I operate in my own, some people will cheer me on. There were plenty of people that would cheer me on in my own power. But I was taking the light of the gospel. We sing that song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And instead of walking into a dark room and illuminating the darkness, I would take the candle and burn someone with it. And so, Paul is reminding us that you should be a patient person and you will not be outside of the power of God. You have to operate in His power, and His power is patient and long-suffering. So to endure patiently means to not be caught by surprise when life hurts. To not be caught by surprise when darkness rears its ugly head and sin wins a battle. Because sin doesn't win the war. Matter of fact, it's already finished, at the cross, and Satan has already lost. So to show restraint is to actually be showing the power of God in me, through me, to His glorious might, not mine. And then I will have endurance and patience, as Colossians 1.11 says. Living worthy of the King calls for us to endure. Because life will not go as we planned it. Life will not go as we planned it. Because if I planned life, Randy would be sitting in that back pew right now. But that's not where we are. So we can't be caught off guard when life takes the turn we didn't want it to. And God is saying, I have the power to make you endure that 
and to be resilient and patient and godly in those times. So living worthy of the king calls for our endurance in his power and not our own. So we should be patient. And when the struggles and pains of life have made us impatient, we have to turn to the source of our power to flip that scale. In this condition, if we operate this way in our own power, we should repent. You see what Paul's doing here? He's, he's, he's saying, this is the way you walk worthy. If you're not walking worthy, repent. He's not saying get off the boat. He's not saying get out of the family. He's saying repent. Because he's, he's, he's building to something. The fourth thing we see Paul do here in, in verses 1, uh, 11 and 12, he says, uh, and we'll go back and, and, and read, he says, being strengthened with all power, we just talked about that, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience, with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. Now, we'll, we'll back up to that little three words, with joy. Or two words, with joy. With joy. Giving thanks to the Father. On one hand, ingratitude to God reveals some really rotting idolatry in our own life. So if we are if we show ingratitude to God, it is a it is it is a it is a spotlight on the idolatry in our life. Romans 1:21 says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. On the other hand, a, a genuine, heartfelt joy in Christ with gratitude, it's like a barometer for our soul health. I saw this it, 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 live and in person as my wife was struggling through the loss of our dear friend Randy. And her ingratitude would have been a evidence of her going in the opposite direction. But instead, I saw my wife, after hearing a statement, um, we were in here one day, it was a Monday, and Chelsea was sitting over here, and it was right after, it was actually the Monday after Randy had passed, and, and Kelly and I were in here, and Justin was in here, and Chelsea was over here, and we were just, we were at a little homeschool thing. And Chelsea made a profound statement. Well, Justin shared the profound statement that Chelsea had made, actually. He said, if, if we knew everything that God knew, we would have actually prayed for this to happen. Think about that statement. If we knew everything that God knew, we would actually pray for us to be in this position right now. We would actually desire this. That was profound. It was profound because it changed the heart position of ungrateful to grateful immediately. Not only in the heart of my wife, but in my own heart. I was grateful for the 39 years that my sister got to live, but I was also grateful that I got to have seven and a half of them. 
it turned my heart to gratitude immediately. Instead of being ungrateful for what I thought was robbed from me, I became grateful for what I already had. It, it automatically changed my heart. And, and, and quite honestly, changed the heart of my wife. So at that point, our hearts were grateful for God's sovereignty. We can rest in it. We can rest and know that God is sovereign and that everything is already made new. We're just waiting to catch up. So then Paul, he, he, he finishes that with who qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. There it is. That's where he's building to in these verses. He says, there, there is a qualification that you have met. And it's not anything that you did. We are not living worthy lives in order to be qualified into God's kingdom. We live a worthy life of Christ because we've already been qualified. God has already sought us out. We've been declared worthy in Christ. Worthy of an inheritance of light. In Christ, we are qualified for an inheritance of light. This is sort of like promised land language almost. But the emphasis here isn't on a, a geographical location, but it's actually God's light. We have been qualified to be in God's presence. To have an inheritance of the glory of God. That we would be able to be in His presence for eternity. He qualified us for that. John, uh, 1 John 1, 5. Uh, Mike just read this morning. God is the light. He's the Father of lights, James says. So this is the ultimate will of God. The will above all other wills that we would enjoy forever this glaring radiance of God's presence. So this is the inheritance of light. You get it because He qualified you for it. Because He sought you out. He called you. You answered. He justified you. And He will glorify you. So the next portion of Scripture, verses 13-20, through 20, like, like all of Scripture, it speaks of the most important personality in the universe, and that is Jesus, the Son of God. And, and this, what he's getting ready to share, what he, what he is reminding them of, this is the very essence of what we believe, the foundation of our faith. This is the battleground where cults fight over things. The deity of Christ, that Jesus is God. And many subcults and subcultures of Christianity will argue this point. And the voices that were in the Colossian church were arguing this point. The very deity of Christ. So Paul is being very heavy with his doctrine because he hears from Epaphras, which he, he mentioned earlier, he hears from Epaphras that there's some really bad heresy in the church. You have the, uh, the polytheists and the spiritualists and then you have the Judaizers. And they're all speaking anti-gospel messages to these new recipients of the gospel. 
One particular heresy relates to the deity of Christ, and they're saying that Christ is not God, but he's, he's one of many spiritual uh, entities that comes from God. And, and so if you aren't doing what Paul said before, increasing your knowledge of God and who He is, then you could certainly fall victim to this. In fact, the heretics said that Jesus is only one of this long line of descending spirits from God. This is what the spiritualists were teaching. The, the, these were people that had penetrated the Colossian church. These polytheists speaking inadequacy. And so then you had the Judaizers, which were these Jewish Christians who regarded that uh, all of the Levitical law needed to be followed. The Old Testament was, was still binding on Christians. And they, they, were, they, were, they were coming behind Paul and enforcing a lot of the Jewish traditions on the new Christians. Uh, particularly the Gentile Christians. The converts. And they were enraged that the new covenant Christian population was not practicing these Mosaic laws and commands. And so, to understand why Paul is laying on these next few verses, uh, we're going we're gonna to plow through them really quick, a lot faster than we went through 9 through 11. Verse 13, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So if Jesus is not God and He's not fully able to pay our sin debt, then we have no hope and no vision for our future and so paul is reminding them because the voices that are coming from them you have to do these things in order to be made worthy god jesus wasn't sufficient for salvation so follow all this mosaic law or you had the polytheists who were like well jesus really isn't as powerful he's just one of many spirits that came from god and so you still have to appease these gods so this works-based mindset from both sides. And he said, nope, Jesus is sufficient. 15, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. Here he is establishing Jesus as creator God. He's saying, in him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So if Jesus is not God, then we can't follow him as Lord. So we have no reason to hear what he has to say. If he's just one of a long line of other spiritual entities, then governments won't be at his dominion. If he isn't God, ultimately anarchy would erupt. All things are created through him and for him. Paul is laying down this doctrine, this heavy doctrine. Because in the next chapter, he's getting ready to stone-cold punch these, these heretics in the face, pretty much. Verse 17, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Then in everything, he might be preeminent. He's saying, all that you've been hearing about him being just one of the many, nope, he's preeminent. All that you've heard that the law is actually, is actually stronger than Jesus and you have to follow the law, nope, he's preeminent. Judaizer, polytheist, we don't want to hear what you have to say because here's the truth about Jesus. For in him all the fullness. This is where he establishes Jesus as God. 
For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, this is where he gives him the power to save, through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Paul is reminding them of God's sovereignty. He's reminding them that Jesus is God. He's 100% God and 100% man. And his death on the cross at Calvary renders sin and death useless. And then he says in verse 21, And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh to his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. He's basically repeating what he said to the Roman church in chapter 5 of of Romans. He says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So if Jesus isn't God, we have no hope. And that's basically what Paul is saying. If you listen to the polytheists, you have no hope. If you listen to the Judaizers, you have no hope. But because the truth of the gospel is this, you have hope. This is huge. It's important because he's setting it all up for chapter 2 where he sort of of word plays with the heretics that are speaking into the Colossian church. So, let us be thankful. Let us be thankful in our hearts. Gratitude to God for His sovereignty for not allowing us to operate in our own power and for allowing us to operate in His. Because when we operate under our own power, we end up with our own results. But when we operate in His power, we end up with His results. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this opportunity. What a beautiful day. The sun is cracking through the clouds and it is warming up the the cold ground that we have been seeing for days yet another reminder that it is never too late to let you warm our cold and frozen hearts and revive us again lord maybe today there is someone who has been chasing their own thing, and their own power, and it looks like the results are turning out pretty good, will you please remind them that the end of that is pain? And so God, I I ask that you would have them repent that they have forgotten you, that they have walked away from your word, that they have lacked in the knowledge of you and your long-suffering, and that they would be reminded that you are a forgiving God. Would you revive their heart again? Perhaps there is someone who is still waiting for the big reveal from you, for their walking in your will. Will you remind them as 
my old pastor did with walk worthy over the exit door of the church would would you remind them that every day they should bear fruit in good works that every day is an opportunity for them to show the light and lord would would maybe you work in a heart that has lost its focus that maybe a heart that is Maybe even unintentionally using the gospel to burn people rather than to illuminate a darkened world. Would you please convict that heart? Would they repent? Would they, would they soften their approach? Would they harden their stance without burning the bridge they stand on? Father, I ask that you would work in the hearts of your people. Would you Make us more patient and enduring through the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells us. And Lord, would You remind us again that You are God, that You are good, and that You are worthy of all glory and honor and praise. May we walk in a manner worthy of You. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.